0: What is GDPR? And more importantly, how does it impact you and your company? Join internationally known data privacy data protection expert Jonathan Armstrong and Tom Fox, the compliance evangelist, to learn more about the burgeoning world of data privacy and data protection. After listening to this episode, you'll walk away with a greater understanding of what this means for you and your organization. Life with GDPR is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This episode of Life After GDPR, Jonathan Armstrong and Tom Fox take a look at several European courts who have significantly reduced fines by data privacy, data protection regulators, what that means for the data privacy compliance professional going forward. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, the Voice of Compliance, back again with Jonathan Armstrong, partner at Quarterly Compliance in London, for another episode. Today, we're going to take up the always topical, always difficult, but always uh, interesting, a matter of subject access requests and some moves by the British government around this. Um, Jonathan, first of all, welcome back.
1: Thanks very much, Tom.
0: So, Jonathan, uh, Quarterly Compliance has a uh, client alert on this subject And I was wondering if you just might take us through uh, with a brief reminder of what a subject access request is, but how the ICO or other regulatory bodies are beginning to think through the abundance of requests themselves.
1: I think the first thing to say is that subject access requests were already rising before the pandemic. And I think that rise has been supercharged since March time particularly requests from employees who either have left the business or think they might be leaving the business. And as many organizations are undergoing uh, workforce reduction programs, then the number of subject access requests is increasing. And some of those subject access requests are uncomfortable, particularly when people are asking to see uh, emails or records relating to health or disciplinary records, etc. So, a subject access request existed under the old pre-GDPR legislation, but GDPR changed the regime slightly, and particularly to remove fees. So, any individual can make a request to an organisation to say, effectively, do you have data on me? If so, what is it? And there are various uh, caveats to that. And it's, uh, you, you should also redact the data that you hold when meeting the request, if that would expose other people's data, et cetera, et cetera. But subject access requests are pretty hard to comply with in many cases you usually only have a month to respond and many of our clients have told us that it takes them between 120 160 hours to comply with each request and obviously if you get a lot of requests at once as some organizations do then that can tie up a huge amount of resources. So, in part, in responding to some of these bulk requests, the UK Dead Protection Authority, the Information Commissioner's Office, or ICO, has issued new guidance on handling subject access requests. Now, strictly speaking, the guidance only applies to the UK, and it's not binding in a court. And previous versions of the guidance have been challenged in courts and the courts declined to follow that guidance so the final word on subject access requests will always come from a court not the regulator but nonetheless i think this guidance is pretty helpful
0: i guess my concern would be is there a, a lessening of protections available for individuals making the requests uh, in the form of allowing companies to, more time, allowing companies to actually hide behind the ubiquitousness of the number of requests or the amount of time that it takes to comply with the request?
1: Well, in most cases, no. I think in some cases, it's a, it's a welcome return to prior guidance. There was a piece of draft guidance at. Uh, out, which uh, we took issue with some parts uh, of that, because I think it was an unnecessary and uh extension of the uh, of rights. I mean, it's it's a long piece of guidance. It's eighty one pages long in its uh, PDF. Uh, Form, but I think that there are some useful things. As I say, in some cases, we're returning to the pre GDPR guidance that the ICO issued, and um, maybe I'll concentrate on, on just uh, three by way of uh, illustration. Um, the, the first is what's called stopping the clock, so you are allowed to ask a requester for. Uh, reasonable details so for example if you get a request from somebody who you don't know you can and probably should say to them can you prove your identity to me and you should do that because we have seen cases where individuals have tried to use a subject access request effectively to commit a data breach so for example let's say uh, I'm a customer of a bank, you could make a subject access request in my name to a bank that might accidentally disclose things like uh, my mother's maiden name or my bank account details, which could then be used to commit a security breach. So I think it's right and proper that organizations can ask for extra information uh, or clarification if they need it. And under the draft guidance, the one-month time limit would continue to run whilst the individual was dealing with the request. Now, we didn't think that was fair because obviously the person, the individual making the request could sit on the request for information and expire the time and the corporation would then be at fault. So, we made representations on this to the ICO, as we believe others do as well, and said that, that, uh, that not stopping the clock would be unfair. We're happy to say that the ICO has listened, and the clock can stop in many cases. So, if I ask you, for example, for a copy of your passport, the clock stops whilst you provide that information to me, provided, of course, that the request is legitimate. Obviously, you can't ask an employee for their passport if you know who they are and you've onboarded them and got a copy of their passport already. The second area, I think, where the ICO have uh, listened to representations is on uh, manifestly excessive requests. So, um, some organizations have had to deal with requests which are often brought by third parties. They might be trying to work up group actions after a data breach, for example, or disaffected employees, etc. And the ICO has provided some new guidance on this. And then the third area where I've been particularly concerned is the use of third party portals. So there are some third party portals who advertise on Facebook and uh, other uh, places where they say, would you like to make subject access requests against people you've done business with? All you need do is give us your Gmail account and password and we'll use our software to crawl over your Gmail account. And we'll send subject access requests on your behalf to individuals that you've been communicating – to to corporations that you've been communicating with. Well, besides the potential dangers of giving your username and password to a third party you've only met via Facebook, what then seems to happen is they send off uh, a a whole raft of requests and ask the – uh, data controller, the recipient of the request, sometimes to go onto their portal and upload information onto the portal, and they make all sorts of threats uh, uh, for non-compliance with the corporation. And then what we've seen in some cases is there's then a follow-up request, uh, a follow-up email from the third-party portal to say, "We know you've got a lot of hassle with subject access requests at the moment because we've sent you a hundred from different individuals." Just pay us a small fee and we'll sell you some software that will streamline this whole process. So, it's almost like a a, a ransom, the way in which this is phrased in some cases. And again, I'm pleased to say that the ICO has reflected these um, somewhat dodgy business models in its guidance. They say that data controllers should consider if they can verify the identity of the individual, they should be satisfied that the third party portal is acting uh, with the authority and on behalf of the individual and uh, uh, see if they're able to view the uh, subject access request without having to take proactive steps, such as paying a fee or signing up to a service that the portal operates. And uh, then the ICO is saying that if you do have to pay a fee or you do have to sign up to some sort of a service that the portal's providing, then you can just, uh, in many cases, just ignore the subject access request. So I think that's a useful clipping of the wings of some of these third-party providers, some of which are legitimate, but many are using GDPR, I think, uh, for the wrong reasons. Um, So uh, in many respects, I think, welcome guidance, but as I say, it is uh, it is long, and it isn't um, uh, necessarily super user friendly in some places. And as I said, there's that big caveat, of course, that um, that the uh, guidance could be overturned by the court. And maybe one other thing I'd mention, Tom, is I think a lot of subject access requests are used these days almost as pre-action discovery, particularly in some countries in Europe that don't have uh, pre-action discovery or pre-action disclosure. And obviously, lockdown has brought a number of new challenges as well. Uh, For example, the volume of data that people are generating by work-from-home tools, that might be things like Uh, Office 365, which um, has various amounts of telemetry data, unless that functionality is switched off. And also, I hear that a lot of organizations are routinely recording Zoom or Microsoft Teams meetings. That's a bit of a nightmare waiting to happen because it's always very hard to review video files, particularly to redact out the names of individuals find out when people are mentioned, et cetera, et cetera. So organizations need to look not only at how they're going to respond to data subject requests, but also look at the volumes of data that they're creating. And if they're creating data that, they, that isn't really necessary, that's storing up problems for the future.
0: Jonathan, I was wondering if the ICO uh, guidance uh, speaks to data controllers who might be involved in or engaged in big data and how that um, what suggestions they would have to maintain your uh, GDPR legal requirements on accountability and documentation?
1: Yeah, I think there are going to be problems with, with uh, big data, particularly with AI-related stuff. And obviously, um, GDPR still applies to that if it's personal data at all. A, a lot of the issues that people have is by failing to understand the difference between anonymized and pseudonymized data. So, if I strip your name off a piece of data, um, but let's say I say um, the Houston lawyer that I talk to a lot about GDPR, that's still personal data. It's what's called pseudonymized, not anonymized. People can work out who it is, you know, by checking onto the... um, podcast page and working out that we talk regularly and you're based in houston and a lot of organizations say oh the data is anonymized nearly always when we look at it it isn't so pseudonymized data is still personal data and that's obviously an issue with things like ai things like cctv footage things like predicting behaviors that will still be personal data if an individual is identified or identifiable and it's the identifiable piece that's often difficult. So if I can put you in a certain location by demanding CCTV footage, by demanding cell phone data, for example, if I'm law enforcement, then that data will still be uh, uh uh, will still be pseudonymized rather than anonymized and will still be subject to the, uh, to the subject access request rules. So it's always important that if you're involved in big data, if you're involved in AI, if you're involved in derived behaviours, you have to do a data protection impact assessment. And... Um, And that's a legal requirement under GDPR. The ICO guidance sort of repeats that and says that you will need to have adequate metadata, the ability to query your data to find all the information you have on the individual, and knowledge of whether the data you process has been truly anonymized or whether it can still be linked to an individual. As I said, in my case, in my experience, nearly always it's pseudonymized data and therefore subject to GDPR and subject access requests, not anonymized data.
0: Jonathan, unfortunately, we are near the end of the time for this episode, but we'll link to the quarterly compliance client alert in our show notes, and I look forward to continuing the conversation. Yeah, me too. Thank you, Tom. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Life with GDPR. We're going to link to the quarterly compliance client alert uh, that explores these topics in a little more in depth in our show notes, so check that out. Also, uh, check out uh, the quarterly website for a great number of resources around GDPR. Life with GDPR is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. During this corona health crisis, please be safe, stay safe, and stay sanitary. We look forward to visiting with you again next week.